it's symbolic of a good father to be able to handle the I hate you every once in a while. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And the road to paradise is paved with pure intentions. Therefore, in this environment, it is important that um, these subjects are spoken about and shared and, you know, in order to, to save people who've gone off the deep end. My responsibility as a parent now is only unconditional love. I don't know what you need, but I, I believe that there's divine providence and that we're here together. And my role is to help you and guide you. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more. More from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right. Welcome, Zalmi. Thank you. I'm sitting here with Zalmi Roskin. Roxin. Apologies. We should do the whole oh. thing over. That's Zalmi. the story of my life. <laughs> I know. I'm sure. <laughs> We're sitting here with Zalmi Roxin, the executive director of TAG Academy. <clears throat> TAG Academy is a local yeshiva not far from here, a few miles yeah. down the road. That... Um, I guess it's geared towards kids who don't fit 100% the mainstream Chabad um, yeshiva system. No. Is that? Well, when you phrase it like that, um, you know, it's not really about if it's for mainstream or not mainstream. It happens to be that usually your customers are those who don't fit in one place. Well, they're the ones looking and shopping around. Right. Uh, but it's really, uh, we call it the evolution of education. It's a different way of or evolving of what we believe education has been focused on and where it should be really focused on. In a nutshell, how would you describe the where where it's been focused and where it should be focused? It's been more focused on academics as opposed to character development. So implementing, building good habits, breaking negative habits, uh, being a healthy human being, having good balance. And then there's the academic part, uh, but where it feels like most of the way education was is academics and and. If you get the right grades, et cetera, and that's the focus. Um, so how is that done? How is that done practically? Because for academics, I know what we do. We have one class after another class after another class punctuated yeah. by study, private study time and then another class. So what happens in TAG Academy that's different? So the way we approach is focused, first off, again, like I said, it's on character development. Uh, so you have to, first of all, you, you get to figure out and see where are the flaws, where are the challenges, and mostly that you pick up through interactions. So everything we basically do is all interactions. For example, um, you know, the learning, right? You do have academics, um, you know, davening. Uh, you, we, we eat with the boys, the meals together, playing sports together with them. Um, all these different um, interactions gives us a good idea of where they're holding you also have, you know, boys come back and say, this happened, that happened. We have a, what we call eagle, so a circle. Every day we sit and we speak either about certain topics that are important or things that have happened, uh, current events, uh, communicating it, uh, pointing, you know, giving the right information, but also addressing, you know, certain behaviors and challenging ourselves to behave differently. Um, so it's mostly the interaction with them hands-on. So from understand. <clears throat> If I'm understanding correctly, in a typical school environment, these in-between periods of the day, such as recess or sports or breakfast, lunch, dinner, all those things would be considered as off of school time. Whereas for you, it may be the most important, relevant portions of the day because that's where the interactions happen. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, the way I approach it, I mean, this is life. 
waking up, participating, like that's all of it, is taking the boy on an errand with me. I need to do something, having that time to speak with them. Um, you know, we take them out for coffee one-on-one to have a conversation. And I always, sometimes I joke with them and they're like, you know, you get into the principal's car or, uh-oh, like, what did I do? And I'm like, you know exactly what you did. And then I'm like, okay, I'm just kidding. I'm like, you didn't do anything. I said, or like, sometimes I'll be like, what's if I just said we're going for a coffee? Would you believe me? He's like, doesn't sound. I'm like, well, we're going for a, just a coffee. How you doing? You get to know me a bit. I get to know you on an individual level. Um, and usually the response is tremendous because then they're, they get to know you a bit and they're able to accept what you're sharing the information. And that's really the focus, finding all these different uh, interactions, coming to our house for Shabbosim. Uh, you know, we tell the boys, you can always come over, whether, even if it's no meal, come over, hang out with us. It's, it's that family environment, uh, but it's, it's mainly about the interactions. How many students in the school? Uh, we had, give or take, about 25 for Got the it. first okay. two years. Right, so it so it allows for that kind of individual... Um... Individual care, individual attention. Yeah. I mean, when we get to uh, the bigger numbers, we'll have to figure out how to keep it that same way. Right. Um, it's the same idea with our staff. Shluchim that we bring. Um, same thing with them. We hang out with them, have them come over, uh, separate for bring-ins for them. A lot of the attention goes to them because we know a lot of what we impart on the shluchim, they then give it to the students. Oh, so you have 25 students, and how many of these older? Uh, how many? We had 11. <clears throat> okay, so you're... So it's a lot because the goal is there's a lot of individuals and you want to give individual attention. So the more you have, uh, the more chances that there are for someone to connect with one of the staff, the counselors, shluchim. Um, but it also comes along with a lot of other challenges. There's another 11 people that you have to give attention to and you have to make, take care of them and show them and guide them as well, educate them. Sure. Um, How do you measure success? And for myself, for... For, for the student, yeah, for your students, yeah. Well, being in academics, it's very easy. I look yeah, at the yeah. average grade, and I know how we did. I, just to respond to the questions, I really don't know how you measure. Uh, it's just uh, I think it's when the person overall, you see, they're they're more active in their own life. They're looking happier, feeling happier, or for those specific things that you're working on. Um, you know that they're more expressive. They feel more comfortable. Is there a story that comes to mind of a student which came in a certain way and then you see them more comfortable? Like that that change in what I mean we have and what you offered maybe that a different school didn't offer? Uh we had a boy who came in, he was uh <coughs> coming from a program, um, dealing with um, you know, certain challenges for anger and things like that. And he When you say a program, coming from a program, what do you mean? A rehabilitation center? Oh, I understood. Um and he, when he came in, he, it was, it was scary for us, like to deal with this, you know, when you hear these words, uh, but we said, listen, everybody, we give a fair chance. And if we have the tools, then we'll work with it. If we don't have, we'll tell you, we don't have the tools, you know, we don't, we're not the right fit for you. Um, but it was shockingly, the boy came in and he just blossomed. He connected, he felt accepted, he felt wanted, and he just started to grow um, and we don't push any particular thing, only just to be healthy, have healthy interactions. You know, so a Yiddishkeit, religion is not, we don't push it. It's, it happens to be that we are a religious program, but we explain it, why why we believe this way and why it's healthy. And, you know, it's your decisions, your choices. Um, and then, so practically speaking, if a student chooses not to keep Shabbos, that's okay. So 
the way we work because you have to create a certain environment, right? That's key. Our job is to create a, a safe environment. So we understand everybody has a, a struggle. So if it's by yourself and nobody else knows about it, so then we have what to work with, right? So at this point, it's not about, um, about religion. It's about being respectful. If a certain place tells you, you know, not to do certain things on their campus and then you're just, you don't care, then it's not being respectful or decent. So right. that's so the if a approach. restaurant tells you don't come with shorts. Yes. So that's the approach we have when it comes to this. Like we understand you have, you know, it's your choice, but we're running a program that this is something that we do and these behaviors are not okay. As long as nobody else knows that, that you're doing these things, like we understand everybody's on their level. Same idea if it would be if, if someone is smoking cigarettes or vaping. You know, we understand as, as long as nobody else knows that you're doing these things, no one's hunting you down. No one's searching for it. You know, if I come into your room and I see it, so that means you're obviously not being careful, you know, and whatever, you know, what happened from that. So you want them to hide? No, it's not about wanting them to hide. It's, it's want them ultimately to realize what is best for them. But you also have to have uh, some sort of guidelines for there to be a safe environment. So, for example, if you let someone smoke openly, how is the, how did the first person ever get into smoking? Most people is because their friends were smoking and then they tried it and then they liked it. And then, so how does, right? So we just basically create an environment where everybody's introducing each other to all their challenges, which isn't a very healthy place, especially if we're working on character development. Right. So I'm not wanting anybody to hide from me. I want them to understand and realize that, you know, we're being respectful of the fact that you're individual and you have um, these temptations or struggles or whatever it is that you want to call it. Um, but over here, we don't bring it in. So I'm not going to hunt you down if you're if if I know you're doing it. On the contrary, if you feel safe and comfortable to tell me that you're doing it, we could work on it if you think it's a challenge. If you don't think there's anything wrong with this, so it's a different conversation. That idea. So not So what to, is a different conversation if they don't think? Well, if if you for kid example, kid may be totally okay smoking and that's where he's at. Yeah. Yeah, if a kid says he totally doesn't believe that there is a god, but at least I know the conversation is different. It's not about the beauty of Shabbos, it's like one second. So what is the purpose of life for you? Like, it just where do we focus? Oh, understood. Right, that okay. idea. A different conversation like that. Yeah. I thought I thought you meant something else by a different conversation. You meant it's a different conversation. They don't belong here. But oh. you So that. again, the, our, our, the, the way we approach it is if we have the tools for you and you want to be here, perfect. Sometimes someone wants to be in the program, but we don't have the tools for them. We just don't know how to deal with them or we're not geared for that. Um, we had certain challenges like that. Um, so we had to figure out what do you do? We had a boy who, you know, the program is great, but, you know, they can't control themselves at night. They just make a ruckus and kids can't sleep and it's chaotic. Um, we had to re figure out a way, how do you deal with that? Because we don't believe in just kicking somebody out. And at the same time, he's destroying and hurting in others and their growth. And we have to figure out that, okay, you know, being in the program is one thing and having the privilege to dorm by us is another and if you're not going to follow the basic rules of decency, so then you lost the privilege of dorming by the school. Meaning you're welcome to come to classes and everything, but you cannot dorm by us. Understood. Okay, so it is very different, um, a very different approach. So what do you, that's in terms of character development, okay, that's what you focus on. What are the, what is the character that you want to develop? What is the... You say healthy. What that means different things to to so different people. The general idea is, you know, healthy means balanced. 
um, and where there's a an approach that we have, right? There's well the shin. I call it the shin. Um, there's physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual four aspects to a human being. And the goal is to have a balance in all these. So, for example, you want somebody who you don't want somebody who sits and he learns all day Torah and he prays all day and he's just not healthy physically. How many connected to the shin? Because the shin has three. Oh, three so steps. the shin has uh, three parts to it. It's like a, a V with a line in the middle, right? And then there's also a, a dot. Okay, so, so there's like three parts and then a dot. That's four. So physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. spiritual. Yeah. All right, so the spiritual is the dot on top. Um, it's aloof, not connected, so to speak, but it's something to reach for higher. And coming straight down from there is the mental. The middle is emotional. And then the left side would be the physical. Physical. Um, so, so how are you balancing each of those? When you say physical, so what is that? Would it be like sports? Is that? Uh, yeah, yeah. So the whole program is built to exercise all four aspects. Everyone has to do some sort of exercise physically. Uh, either it's playing sports, going to the gym, going on a walk. You cannot neglect your body. Um, emotional, we all sit in eagle. We communicate and express. Um, eagle every, means? Eagle. So eagle in, in Hebrew means uh, circle. Eagle. Okay. Uh, yeah. We just, for the guys, called it eagle. And it, just, it became like eagle, as an eagle. All right, got it. Um, so, yeah, it's a circle. Um, communicate, express. When things happen, we need to talk about it. We need to deal with it. There's no putting it under the rug. Um, so learning how to have... Uh, healthy way of communication and expressing yourself and teaching them by modeling it, by sitting there with them and talking about, you know, challenges that we have, if it's current or in the past, um, being vulnerable. Um, you know, that's, that's really the idea is that we, we take it why we play sports together. Cause when the boys see how I react, you know, and I'll play competitively. Um, and then when someone does something and you're in that state of being, you, you can get upset and then they get to see how do you handle yourself? Now, are you all just talk or you actually walk the walk? Are you able to actually calm yourself? And they see this and they notice it. And I've had boys who've come up to me after and they say, you know, um, the way you spoke to that boy or I don't think uh, you could have done it differently maybe. And like, so sometimes they'll do that and I'll, I'll say, I appreciate that. Thank you. I want to point out, you know, there's a, I think a more respectful way to communicate it to me. And thank you for pointing it out. Or sometimes I do a great job and I'm like, hey, I really thank you. I didn't notice I was in the heat of it and I really appreciate you. And they learn this by seeing, you know, the expression monkey see monkey do. And we, we like to call it bacher see bacher do. Um, so that would be that you have exercising physically, emotionally, mentally, learning, studying, for bringing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Challenging each other, and then spiritually, is doing something bigger and greater than yourself. Such so, as? So for us, it would be the idea of religious actions, prayer, um, or acts of charity, um, having something bigger than yourself that you strive to do and be not just all about you. And we need to exercise all these. So at one level, it could be a small, look small. This kid went for a walk. Uh, but as long as there's the intention, which is the idea of like the dot really is like intention, um, it has an effect. If I, I walk, we all walk, 
but if I intentionally I'm walking to exercise physically it has a big difference um, in my you know my psyche of like I'm actually trying to be respect healthier. my body take yeah. care of myself etc and that's sense. the awareness that we want to bring and that creates balance we believe and again everybody on their level what balance looks like for them part of the shin is that it's there's the three parts so the right is chesed left would be gvura and then the middle is what we call teferis right which is a balance um, but if you have, but really Tiferes, we say, is a mix of Chesed and Gvura, right? Avram was Chesed, Yitzhak is Gvura, and Yaakov is Tiferes. Avram had Yishmol, and Yitzhak had Esav. And Yaakov, it says, all his children were righteous, right? Complete. Right? So really, when you have the balance of Chesed and the balance of Gvura, you automatically have middle path, which is Tiferes. It's not a thing of its own. Some people need more chesed because they're, the, the gvur or whatever they experience is so much, they need a lot more to balance them out and vice versa. Some people need a lot more discipline uh, because they were just given so much. Um, so that's the idea. It's, it's not like this is how it is. This is a general formula. And then depending on the individual, that's how we will dose it, so to speak. How did you get into this work? Um, so I got into this work... Um, I was 19, did not know where I wanted to go and what to do with my life, um, but I knew I didn't want to be a student anymore, that's for sure. I was done. And I wrote, I wrote to the Rebbe, um, like my friend calls it, the voodoo stuff. <laughs> um, We've so, had a podcast actually on it specifically. We did a podcast with Schneer Hickson. Specifically yeah. on this, uh, <clears throat> on the voodoo, <laughs> yeah, on the topic of, um, you know, writing letters to the Rebbe, inserting it in a book, and um, he called it uh, a form of divination, okay. Oh, okay. then getting a uh, response and then acting on it, yeah. So, I, I was, you know, and in general, by the way, just to backtrack a bit, um, growing up, um, the idea of the Rebbe, and, and it was very confusing for me. Um, I guess post Gimel Thomas, you know, um, post his passing. Yeah, and uh, it was just so confusing. I, we did touch upon this uh, in the past. The it doesn't idea, exist. Oh, I'm saying the past. Yeah, the, okay. It doesn't exist. Yeah, no I'm past. Saying you can so. mention it, but it's not a. Uh, so the idea that, you know, to me growing up, the Rebbe was made somewhat godlike, for lack of a better word, or maybe that is the right word to use. Yeah, yeah, it definitely felt that way to me. I've, I've shared that. Part of the confusion was that when you had a different feeling or thought, you know, like I don't necessarily understand these things, it was uh, uh, the response would be, do it because this is what the Rebbe wants us to do, this is what you're supposed to do. And in an unhealthy, as an unhealthy uh, youngster, I would say, it basically just it meant to be quiet, you know, and just keep doing it, right? Which had a, a big effect on just being shut down. Right. You know, so it was just very confusing the whole idea. I would say there's a lot of different ways to say shut up. You know? Yes, yes, it, it crossed my mind. Um, but you know, I, when I tell my kids, "Hey, let's let's say it a little differently," I don't want to, <laughs> just in case they ever watch it, right? What? But, oh, he said the word "shut up." Right. <laughs> so, just thinking if I my kid said it, I'd be like, "Hey, you know, right. let's say it differently. Please be quiet." Uh, yeah. Right now, I'm saying the idea of. Like when someone starts saying, oh, the Rebbe wants us to do this thing and everything. It's just another way to silence yeah. us. Like oftentimes, 
there are many different ways to. Yeah, and as a, and as a youngster, you don't know any better, so you follow suit, <clears throat> and that's why it was conflicting because like I, I I don't understand, and I don't I can't ask. I've been taught to keep quiet, right? As I think they call it learned helplessness, or like there's nothing you can do about it. Just this is how it is. Right. And but I remember, so I, it was just confusing, and I. I didn't like the fact that my opinion of the Rebbe was based off of other people. When I started to, in general, Judaism, I didn't like it. Right? You didn't like Judaism? No, I did not like it at all. It was a burden. Um, on the contrary, Judaism, again, these are only things that I could put words to now, for what I was feeling then. Judaism cut down my dreams. I wanted to be a professional athlete. That was not even, that was a joke, right? Uh, to even think about it. Um, you know, I wanted to be an actor, I wanted to be in entertainment. Um, that wasn't going to happen. Even if I wanted to be a psychologist, there's no such thing as going to college then, really. Right. So what, what can I do? I'm not learned. I don't know. I don't have a GED. So, you know, funny enough, the only thing that came around was that yeah, I could be a, a, a real estate agent, maybe, because you could take right. a test and then you pass it so if you study and you pass it then you can sell houses and become successful <laughs> uh, that that was literally like the avenue or going to e-commerce or sell and get lucky and i guess i don't know um but when yeah. i was on that journey i don't know if that's what you're involved in that was no it just did like these just the assumption that it's like a get lucky that's all oh <laughs> that's, all. Well, that's all i knew right, right. we what wouldn't would say it with another discipline but i understand um so yeah, so that was it was all at this time. What do I want to do? I don't want to continue doing this. I don't feel like I'm gaining from it. Um, that's why I learned smicha. I wanted to feel like I accomplished something, you know, to become a rabbi. Not because I cared to, just because at least I had a certificate that said I accomplished something. Um, so all of this, it was just, but it was hard to like, what do I do? Where do I go? You know, I like to be authentic and real, but you know, I don't like this Judaism just burdensome, tying me down. But I feel like and believe there's something bigger and greater in the world. There's got to be. You know, I thought about just just do whatever you want. But I told myself it's just a matter of time till I'm a bottomless pit. And right. then what? And I wake up one day feeling horror. Like, I don't want to go down that road. But although I do want to for the short term, but I also don't want to go in the direction of uh, religion and Judaism because I didn't like it. It was confusing and it didn't make me feel... So you're touching on something which is... Um... Which is interesting because, like the choices you laid out, are very are very interesting. Where you had, okay, either I can go towards Judaism, right, which sounded like it wasn't very fulfilling for you, but the others felt like um, a, a form of a failed option that still took Judaism seriously. That still took some of the um, constructs you were taught seriously. So, for example, oh, I can't go to university, so I can only do this. Or I can't play sports, or I can't, I can't become an athlete, or I can't become right. an actor. But you can't do that only if you still, right? Because so, you believe. But that's so. That's first of all, the, I think the learned helplessness idea. I mean, these are the facts. These are the truths. So when you see the world that way, it's right. Uh, it doesn't work. You're stuck. No, I, I've seen this before, and I felt like when I wanted to, like I, I never dropped out of school. Right, dropped out of the yeshiva system, right. even though in many ways wasn't doing it for me. And the reason I didn't was because 
all I saw in that direction were like kind of vagabonds, right? People who didn't care at all about yeah. about life. So <clears throat> I saw a I saw just a pitiful existence there or within the yeshiva, at least it had some structure, although it didn't fulfill me. And I said, okay, as soon as I'm finished, then I'll, I'll choose my own life. But it, it didn't feel to me like there was an option where I can be, um, where I can choose a different path, but still do it from a place of purpose and meaning. Uh, exactly. And be connected. Yeah. So meaning <clears throat> it felt like there were many more options to, it felt like doing drugs all day was more of an option than going to university and having a career. It's just, I've never articulated this before now, but once you're saying it, I'm saying like, hey, I had that that same feeling, which is bizarre, right? It feels like the options are either I'm going to continue to go through the school system or I'm going to fail. Yeah. This other path of creating a successful life that does not look like the life I grew up in for whatever reason doesn't feel like a viable option when it should be. Like why, just because I wasn't, yeah, feeling this doesn't mean I have to turn into a bad. I agree, and the, part of that I think is the fear of when you open up more roads, then you're also opening up the chances of of the boy or a girl, whoever it is, getting lost in the world. Um, and I believe that that's that's kind of like yes, we have to be careful, um, you know, and you want to shelter as much as you can from things that are really harmful, but at the same time. If you trust that God runs the world, right, then each person has their own individual path. So you have to allow that space. Um, this idea about education, uh, a little off, don't let me go too far, mm-hmm. is this idea. It says that there's a, 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 a prayer, a blessing we say, after a boy turns 13, his bar mitzvah, and uh, the father says by the mincha service, Baruch Shepetrani Meho'inish Lazah. Which means blessed um, that I am freed from this punishment. Um, and I remember coming across it. I'm like, this is so bizarre. Like, what type of like boy's becoming a man? He's celebrating, and all of a sudden, <laughs> we're saying, "Thank God, I'm done with this punishment." Like, right? It is a bizarre um, prayer. So I I was thinking about it because I was in the you know later on already in my life trying to not just do things because like if something comes across, investigate. And, you know, I was a lot more comfortable with my uh, connection with God already. So I wasn't scared I'm going to find something. It was like, obviously, there's something to it. What is it? And, you know, there's the idea in Tanya, it says, we, you know, the quote in the Gemara, that we swear to be righteous and not wicked. Mm-hmm. And the question is, and there's another concept, that when you're 13, that's when your godly soul, right, your Yitzhah is finally, you know, your good inclination is finally in you fully. But your Yitzhahara, the evil inclination, is inside of you from the moment you're born. So how could you be righteous? Right? So there's this idea that the parents are responsible for the child's education, the chinuch. So I, I realized that that's, that's what the, the parent is saying. When you're growing up and you're a kid, the parent has to discipline. So sometimes you want the kid wants the candy, and then the father mother says, no, you cannot have it. And the kid throws a tantrum and says, you're the worst, you're so mean. But, you know, the parent knows that the, the kid already had so many and it's not, not good, good for him. Or, you know, the more extreme cases, the kid wants a knife. 
or anything like that, or you have to go to sleep because you're not going to be able to function tomorrow, all these things, and the kid says, I, I'm so upset, I hate you, you're the worst, and it's painful. The parent has to conceal that love and be, you know, put up that tough exterior because that's what's best for the child. And the beauty of what we're saying here is that the parent is saying that I'm free from this punishment. What's the punishment that they couldn't show openly unconditional love? And sometimes they had to put up this wall of being tough. And it looks like it could be interpreted to the child that they don't love them, they don't care about them. But now that they're um, 13... So you're saying at 13, the responsibility of the parent to continue to um, educate right. and discipline the child no longer exists. In the sense of, of religion, of choice, meaning freedom of choice, God gives everyone the freedom of choice. Now that the soul is fully inside, the Yishtab is fully inside, the boy or the girl at 12 has to make their own choices. choices. And if you force them, you are doing the opposite of freedom of choice, right? which undermines the whole thing of what you're trying to get them to do, which is that there's a God and there's a system, and yet you undermine the whole system, which is what God said, there is freedom of choice. But it doesn't mean, first of all, that you let the child do whatever they want. It doesn't mean you don't care about them. No, it just means you don't force them. So if I, I hope and pray that I'm doing a good job with my kids, that they want to continue because they see it and they feel it and on their own pace and level. If I want to bribe them and incentivize them, go for it. But my responsibility as a parent now is only unconditional love. And that's why we're saying that I'm free from the punishment where I couldn't do that before because I had to hold tough for the best, for the better for my child. That resonates for me in terms of parents at some point just hanging up their hat and saying okay i've i've made my point on this religious thing i've said everything that i could and should say and now i'm done wherever the child is is, is where they are yeah. i guess i'm wondering if that's at, at 13 even in today's but i would age. say that is a fine line because it could come across as i don't care anymore sure but you have right. your way of doing it for example in yeshiva where you're saying i'm not here to preach religion anymore do as you please but I am responsible for a certain space and you're going to respect that space, right? So a parent may say, yeah. um, you know, no phones at the Shabbos table, but that's not coming from a religious perspective. Yeah. It's like, being hey, a this decent is human yeah. being. Yeah, being yeah, this is what we're doing and we're you know? running this. It's my house and this is yeah. the way it's going to work. It's like shockingly, you see, most non-Jews will put on a yarmulke when they come into a shul, but then you tell it to someone who's, you know, came from, from home and was upset and then they're not religious anymore. They, they have, like they might have an issue with that. Like, don't tell me what to do or something right. like that. It's not so shocking. That's true. Um, That's what it does. Yeah, how shocking that the non-Jews put it on. Like, <laughs> it's usually the paper ones at the case. But the, the idea is so um, that the you need to give them that they have their own journey also. And we have to respect that. And I know it's scary. It's scary. And again, if according to the law, I'm not saying physically that let him smoke, let him do whatever he wants. There's there's a law. There's a legal age. Um, you're still the parent. You have to be there for them and support them. You know, if they want to do something, however you feel and deem fit as the parent and the guardian, that's a whole different story. I'm talking about in terms of just religion. When it comes to religion, do not force. We're not allowed to force. It's, it's the opposite. She's so saying until 13, it may be appropriate. Hey, I want you to do this. Come to shul with as, me, whatever. As it terms might be. of discipline and education, you're you're teaching them and guiding them. But if you're doing it with hate and anger, so forget it. Whatever you're right teaching, it's not going to work. We're talking about with that your real motives are with love, and you thought it through, and you're doing what you believe is best, and this is the best approach, and therefore I'm standing firm. As opposed to after they're 13, it's like you know I need to respect that this is your journey. 
Do you find that uh, within the students you're working with, you need to get involved with their parents and the way they're communicating with the children in order to be effective? Do I see that it's necessary? Yes. yes. Um, do I, or have I figured out how to? It, it's, um, I haven't figured out, I would say, yet. I don't know um, how to go about that. Um, there are suggestions that we make to parents. Uh, most of the time, we push tremendously for the, for the student to get um, professional help. Um, but yeah, there are times that you can see that, unfortunately, not again with malicious intention, hopefully not, that the right. parent, the way they're doing certain things is causing a lot of the pain. Um, and you can't tell that to the parent. So what would you say, maybe in this format, where you're not speaking to a, a specific parent and telling them what to do, but what are some, you know, obviously most parents are coming from a place of wanting, um, wanting it to be the best for their children, but... You know, obviously it's not working in some cases. So they're somewhat misguided. What what principles might you share? What what would you tell parents? So um, you're asking a really, uh, ooh, this is like a, a big part, part of the luchas. Okay. <laughs> like serious stuff. Um, but to the best of my ability, and I ask Hashem to, you know, give me the words that will be helpful. Um, step one is always check yourself. Check yourself. Everything I've learned and my understanding is that the inspiration that you create for others, it comes from your actions. I don't tell you what to do. Right? I model it for you. So when someone sees that I'm authentic and I'm sincere, just because I may look more religious doesn't mean that it's not going to inspire them to want to do the best wherever they're holding in their life and whatever it is that they're focused on. So that's step one. For sure, just always come back to yourself. And while you're doing that, what am I, what's my goal? that I'm forcing my child to keep Shabbos because that's what Hashem says? And what about the unconditional love of a parent that, the, that also the Torah would teach? And Like, are you really doing those things first? Is this really what's best for the child or is it what you think is best? Which, this, okay, so this idea, um, because you asked a, a great question and I hope it's somewhat satisfactory, just, just the way I only understand it, how to you know respond. Mm -hmm. There's this old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, and I agree with that. And I've seen how sometimes, you know, you have good intentions and it just, it doesn't work. You, the person you're working with ends up in hell. You make them miserable and you're probably going to end up in hell because of what you're doing. <laughs> um, so I said, so what do you do? Because I want to help you. Oh, so what do you do? Um, so the idea of good intentions means that I decided it's good. Okay, who decided that it's good? I decided it's good intentions. I want to do good for you. So I'm right. deciding it's good for you. But who says that is good for you? Who says that that's good for you, right? Who decided? Oh, Torah says Shabbos, but Torah also says you break Shabbos to save a life so they can keep more Shabbos. So who says in this time, in this place, this is good? So, you know, what I, I came to realize is that the road to hell is paved with good intentions and the road to paradise is paved with pure intentions. And pure intentions means I don't know. I don't know what you need. But I, I believe that there's divine providence and that we're here together. And my role is to help you and guide you. And therefore, I'm going to do my best by weighing in all the things that are going on in your life and taking action because you must take action. And I'll pay attention. If you have an allergic reaction, stop what I'm doing. Obviously, it's not working. Adjust, adjust, adjust until I see, oh, hey, this is working. And then we continue. And if I have that. Right, if your actions aren't getting your desired outcome, check yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I tell it to all my students and I do it for myself. What's your goal? And make sure whatever you're going to do is going to get you there. Right, and if it's, if it's not, adjust mid-course. Mid Anything else for, for parents? Um, I, really, really, the only thing that I, that comes to mind is you gotta, it's gotta, you gotta work on yourself. You got to work on yourself. You can't, sometimes we like to play the martyr and I give my life uh, for my kids and, uh, but you have tremendous anxiety and you're stressed beyond. And I guarantee you, your home is not relaxed. No one's feeling the love. <laughs> Stop. Come back again. You need to make sure that you are healthy, that you are balanced. And then the greatest investment you can make in life is within yourself because you give what you live. So the better, healthier, happier, stronger, smarter, more balanced, more relaxed, more calm, more clear, et cetera, et cetera. I am the more valuable I become to the world. So, you got to invest in yourself and work on yourself. And if you see something is happening, so take a step back. First of all, if there's an immediate action that has to be done or stopped, right? That's what we got to do. And then you can think further back. How do I change it? Do I need to go for professional help? Am I lacking? Is this causing me uh, anger and frustration because it's triggering something in my past? Like, right. let's go. It's always going to be best when you work from yourself. It's not about me fixing you. Is that... The Baal Shem Tov teaches us, I believe. I, I just say I believe because I don't want to quote the wrong person. But I've heard the Hasidic teaching that when you see something in someone else, right, it's a reflection of what's in you. Mm -hmm. And some people get scared off and say, well, because I saw someone stealing, so I'm a thief, right? But on one level, it's the idea that when I see someone behaving a certain way and, and I, and I and like, or like, I get upset. Oh, he's so uh, arrogant. He's so this. It could be that it's not because of a negative. It's just because I relate to the person. I relate to him because in a certain area in my life, I have that struggle. And it may not be as big as this person who's openly. But if I can relate to him, then I can help him. So it's not a negative. It's on the contrary. You know, someone, for myself once, I remember I, I was running a camp. I asked someone for something from the kitchen. And he responded to me, I can't give you because then everyone else is going to ask. Okay. So I got very upset, very angry, but I said, okay, I, un I understand. You're, I put you in charge to run the kitchen and you have to make whatever. I went off to the side and I'm like, but I was just so angry. Still like, so like, who does he think he is? So this like is your kitchen? And it, was like, it was a camp that I run with my friends. I got you. And he told me, and I, I'm like, who does he think he is? Like mm -hmm. in my, like, my camp, but this, but I'm like, I understand. And logically i got it i got it i understand but i was still so upset i'm like am i I'm like am i a two-year-old like really like get over it like he said no like right so i was thinking like okay there's got to be something more to this because i get it but yeah my body isn't okay yeah so i thought and i'm like wow like i'm like why am i so sensitive it's, i hate it i'm like wait that's that's it i'm so sensitive the problem that i'm doing is that it's all about me. Maybe my sensitivity is to be able to realize that the way he said it was hurtful. And therefore, I need to maybe communicate with him how, hey, and I did. I went up to him and I said, by the way, I just want to comment. I understand why you said that, but 
it was a little hurtful. And he's like, oh, actually, I thought about it after I realized and I wanted to apologize to you for saying it like that. And I realized that my sensitivity was really it's a gift that I'm able to feel the subtlety of where it comes from and how it could be hurtful and how I could actually help that person refine. But the problem was, it was just, it was all about me. I was so focused on myself that it just it beat me up and it got me angry and it was just my ego. Right. Right. Meaning all the same learnings can, can bring us to a completely different place. Yeah. Um, so I, I had this realization once, just similar, you go back to what you're saying, but where I was dealing with the situation and I was really, really upset at the way certain people were handling it. And I felt like I had the right answer and this, like uh, others who were involved were just mishandling it horribly. Um, and at one point I came to the, the realization that um, they were making the wrong decision because they were frozen. They were frozen by fear. And I too was making the wrong decision but I was frozen by judgment. And in that way, is yes, it, it was very different on the one hand, but at the end of the day, what was getting me so angry was the fact that this person was reflecting my own frozenness in the situation. That you're they stuck in this idea of judgment. They felt like they couldn't do anything because they were afraid the wrong decision would have certain consequences that they couldn't bear. I felt like I couldn't do anything about the situation because I was so angry about the fact that the person who had a very easy way of handling it was was frozen by fear. And I'm like, okay, for me, you know, I'm on the other side of the room to open the door. I got to get up and walk there, you know, figuratively. This person is <clears throat> right there. Just open the door. What are you going to make me do all this work? Right. But I wasn't moving and he wasn't moving. He was afraid. He was frozen by fear. I was frozen by judgment saying, why shouldn't you do it? You're standing right, right there. Obviously, figuratively, it was. Like, right. and, the, and the goal is, okay. right, you would say, so if my goal really is to help the guy. So then what could I do? Right. Instead of so how, do, how right. do I become unstuck? He's stuck and so right. am I. And like, that's, I, I think, one way. I was just giving a personal example of the way we can often be stuck in something and so certain that we're nothing like the other person. And it's true. On one level, I wasn't stuck for the reason he was stuck, but the end yeah. result was exactly the same. He was stuck and I was stuck. I was stuck because of some story about it being unfair or ridiculous that someone who can fix this so easily is frozen by fear. And that was just a story keeping me stuck versus, okay, so do something about it. If you feel like you have a better solution, so go, move, do it. And don't get lost in the fact that they are doing exactly, it. they're doing something that you dislike so much, but one of the reasons is because you're doing the same thing yeah. as they are. It's in this the idea of like taking out the personal uh, ego, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, I've had it at times where I had to... Uh, I had to say some tough words to some of my counselors. Um, and naturally, I'm, I'm more of a gentle, relaxed, and just the position calls for me to grow up. And I have to. And I've done it. And I'm doing it. And I went and I thought it through and I made sure, you know, this is coming from the place that I believe is going to be best. It's unpleasant, but I got to do it. It's pure. The yes, it's pure. pure. It's pure for them to whatever the effect was that I wanted for them. And I went and I told them and it was intense. Um, and then, and I wanted to right away go apologize, but I, I said, I have to, I can't cause it has to sink in. Otherwise I'm the, 
I don't give them a chance to process it. And right. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting. It goes by Davening. So I waited till after Davening. Um, and then I went up to one of them. I went each individually. I went to them and I went to the first one. And I said, listen, I want to apologize that I know it was intense. And I know what I said could have been hurtful and it's not personal. I'm only saying this to you to help because of the situation. It's not personal. I'm like, Zalmi, me as a person, I'm not angry at you. But me, as in this position, and the educator, I'm very frustrated with your behavior. Right. And I need to tell you that. And he's like, well, you know, of course it's personal. And I'm like, no, I, I know it's hard to believe that that I could say it like that, but I, I mean it. There's no, I'm not angry at you. It's not personal. And I, and I always, one thing to do, I always give a hug. Um, it's not natural for me to give hugs. I did not grow up like that, but I know it does something. I know there's studies and things, but it, it does help. And the bodies calm down, I believe, when you do that. So what, after you deliver something harsh to one of the students? Or, no, not that. Whenever I see a student, whenever I see anybody, oh, to okay, give them a hug. You. Um, you know, and it's it's uncomfortable for me sometimes. I don't know somebody, so like I won't do it the first time necessarily. Um, but yeah, giving a hug, it's... It, I believe is very important. It uh, breaks a lot of the boundaries because you wouldn't hug someone you're scared that would actually hurt you, which would create step one of physical safety. Because when you hug and he sees, hey, it wasn't so bad. Now you established physical safety, which is part of the shin that we mentioned. Right. Um, so yeah, so an idea, especially because we're talking like, let's say religious parents. Um, I know maybe I said some things that might be uh, sounding, uh, I don't know, heretical or whatever i don't know like sacrilegious whatever it is i don't even but anti-religious you know everything's with pure intention so god um please make sure everything comes out the right way um but I've, I've come to realize something when i was younger what really threw me off and confused me was what i was being taught about Torah and about um even the rebbe like what people said about the rebbe but mainly like they have Torah and the way people behaved we're not in scene. Didn't match, right. And it was very confusing, you know, and I had, I was very fear-based, you know, I would think if I lined up to say the Amida prayer, you know, uh, if my feet weren't exact, an angel would come and chop my toes off till it's matched up exactly. <laughs> like this is crazy thoughts. I just, I don't know why. No one, I think, told me outright, this is how it is and this was going to happen. But for some reason, I was just led to believe these things. Nobody even asked me, hey, you know, what do you believe or how does, uh, what's going on? Um, you know, one time I was, one year I was just had a horrible year. We went down, my grades, everything. And they sent me to the principal. The principal called me and I was, I was literally at the top of my class and then fifth grade, everything just went down and he called me in and I was petrified. And he said, um, life is like a roller coaster. There's ups and downs. Now it's time to go back up. I didn't understand what that meant. Like I didn't, I didn't even know why I wasn't doing well. Mm -hmm. um, later, I sat and I thought, and I realized I was getting uh, bullied horribly. That's at that time. I realized later why everything dropped at that point. But nobody asked me about that. Nobody went further than just to tell me that life's like a roller coaster, which was getting me really nauseous. Mm -hmm. um, so when we talk, when I, I was so you, so you didn't like the message that you got that life is like a roller coaster. You felt. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't even know. He said right. it very nice. I went back. All I cared was getting out of the office because I was petrified. Right. It wasn't addressing I, your um, your actual I didn't reality. even know. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know. It was just I knew I wasn't doing well. 
and and that was it. Nobody. Only this is all stuff years later. I'm like thinking about realizing what happened. Why there's just stuff that like stick out. That when I realized the timelines, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, how come nobody asked me? How come nobody even thought that there's something going on? Other than the fact, obviously, I know I'm going down. I see my grades. I was horrified when I get under a 60. And that never happened to me. Didn't know what to do. Didn't want to bring my right. test home. Um, so I'm just going back to the idea that I realized that, you know, we say, we're believers, sons of believers, right? We're all believing in God, right? There's something bigger, whatever people want to call right. it, if it's universe or whatever, at least coming from a religious home. Most of us can't shake it, whether we like it or not. We're always going to be in search of more. <laughs> but we're believers, right? And we're believing. But I've noticed that when push comes to shove and things don't make sense anymore, there's a certain limit of belief we have. And then beyond that, it's crazy. Like you're, ooh, you're a crazy one, <laughs> right? People will be leaving God and do what makes sense according to nature, right? So you're saying there, there's a space for belief, but it's after the, the other faculties are kind of exhausted. No, in many cases, meaning we believe as long as it makes sense to us, we do, we do. But then there's a certain point where it doesn't make sense anymore. This belief doesn't make any sense. You know, how am I going to get all the money that I need that officially comes to me on Rosh Hashanah when my paycheck only says this and it's not enough? Right. Right. So people will be leaving God, wordplay, you know, I understand. as opposed to be living God, which means that if Tyra is stating things and this is how it is, these are the facts, whether you can understand it or not. And that means trust. That means whether I get it or not, I'm in, and I do it. And I feel like that was a, a disconnect that I, that didn't happen. Like people were just, yeah, there's a God, there's Torah, there's these ideas. And again, I don't think anybody meant this in a malicious, negative way. It's just what happened. Right? And where you, where the end result? I was left to just like wander around um, until I realized like that was the disconnect. So, and then when I started my journey. Uh, wanting to make it real, you know, all the way back, full circle, all the way back to what we were saying about the choice. Where do I want to go with my life? And I wrote to the Rebbe. In 19. You know, after I started to learn about the Rebbe and I started to watch his videos and his interactions and his stories, and I realized every word the Rebbe said is about God. Everything he said is about loving others and working on yourself and growing. The first um, discourse the Rebbe ever gave was Basi Ghani, and the Rebbe is talking about how I'm not going to do it for you. I'm not going to put you on my shoulders and my wings and take you. You're going to have to do the work, but we, we'll say L'chaim together, we'll, we'll sing together, we'll forbrain together, but you got to do the work. And everything that the Rebbe said, I'm like, this is it. This is the role model, the person I want to emulate. But you felt like until you started hearing his videos directly and hearing his message directly that you were given a very different interpretation of yes, this man. Yes, and the big part was because it was all, I didn't learn or study. I didn't want to. So it was all based off what other people told me. Either, again, not with malicious intention, just what they left me to pick up for myself. Nobody right. asked me, hey, do you understand what I said and what I meant? For example, trust in Hashem that He gives you all the parnasa. And what do I do now? So how does that look? Right. Do I get a job? Do I not get a job? Nine to five, not nine to five. Do I invest in stocks, crypto? What do I do? Right? So to each on their level, you know, you would get a better idea of what it is. But no one said that. Nobody directed me or explained it. They just stated great lines. What does that mean? Does that mean that my mother who died in a car accident uh, to the day 20 years ago, today's her yard site, I'm supposed to think good and it will be good. So how do you understand that now? 
that I think naturally, when you have a positive outlook, you will find positive outcomes. Right, but not that thinking good will bring her back to life. Perspectives are like clothing, I believe. They need to be changed. Some every day, some every week, some every month, some a few years. Some you always have that, you know, that coat you love in the in the closet. That's always right. there. These are perspectives. You need to find the right one. Hashem gave us a brain. Right? You don't go into a shiva house and say, you know, gamzulatayva. I believe it's true. I'm I'm sure the person, if they're religious, they believe it also. But that's it's not appropriate. That's right. not the way Hashem made it to be. That you, you go, you have to be sensitive. Remember the shin. First is physically feel them safe. Emotionally need to feel safe. Then intellectually they could hear the deeper ideas, which will then inspire them to spiritual growth, go and move and rise to something bigger and greater than themselves. But you can't skip, otherwise you knock them over. Um, How old were you when your mother passed? Twelve. Twelve. Right before my bar mitzvah. I was actually talking with my siblings last night. We were going through it. Uh, um, yeah. I remember as a kid thinking one day it'll like be like 20 years, I'll be older. She passed away with, with someone else who passed away also. My grandparents also. Her parents were in the car as well. Both her parents? Both her parents. So their yard site yeah. was the day before, yesterday. And hers is today. She passed away a day later. Gotcha. Um, and even at that point, uh, there was no infrastructure. Nobody really reached out. You know, There was one, one family. It was uh, Yassi and Rachel Gordon. Um, who from really, Miami. From, yeah. Uh, yeah. College ca campus, Chabad, Chabad camp. of campus. Um, so they were there. Yeah, I'm a Yassi's. I'm a Yassi fan. Yeah. So Yassi was there. He used to play yeah, Xbox with me and my brothers. Amazing. Yeah. So they they were there really um, tremendously. They were just a comfort, like somewhere to go. But nobody I didn't go anywhere. I didn't really go to the therapy and nothing. Right. Um, you know, I'm thinking of um, someone I know whose uh, parents passed away young, and you know when we were we were growing up, right? Say, oh, they're Yasim or they're Yasimim, and there was a certain pity that went along with that. Right? It was almost the, uh, oh, you know, like everyone kind of felt the, felt that that was the the feeling that they almost wanted to evoke from us. And this guy was saying, now he's an adult. He just said how little concern it was to his teachers, to others, when he wasn't doing well in school. It was more of what they viewed almost as a kindness, which was, okay, see Yasim, don't be too hard on him. He's an orphan, don't be too hard on him. Which uh, today he looks back with a lot of resentment, saying like, yeah. wow, you know, I was a little kid. I was whatever he was, 10 years old, 12 years old. So I was a little kid, and uh, I was kind of left to my own in the name of compassion. Yeah. Misplaced compassion, if that yeah. is even compassion. Uh, you mentioned I said this, in the name of compassion, of you, course. And you said uh, pity, uh, trigger, reminded me. Um, that was the one thing I hated. Anyone who would pity me, don't talk to me. Nothing. I'm not messed up. Nothing happened to me. Something, yes, that happened to my family. I don't need your pity. Just treat me like a regular person. I was actually, I don't know why, I was very embarrassed um, from be this idea that, that I was a yasem and that people, like, I just, I was embarrassed of it. I don't know why. Maybe we. I, I, right when I turned bar mitzvah, I already had to start davening for the Ahmad. And I remember I didn't want to daven in eighth grade. You daven with the whole grade. It was embarrassing. Maybe because I couldn't oh, read. Right. It could be public I speaking. To, it's, yeah. So I used to wake up with my father to daven at 615 and 770. First of all, um, they went very fast and I couldn't keep up, even though I was the <laughs> chazan. You know, it was no, no, no. And second of all, I was, I was dead tired. 
I was dead tired. I remember I used to fall asleep in the middle of davening, and then I didn't know where I was holding, and I'd finish off the sentence and look around and see the people's reactions. If no one reacted weird, that means I, Keep I'm going. good. And if they react weird, it means I just said it again. <laughs> Two seconds ago, I just finished it. Um, and again, I think also we're not necessarily educated in how to deal with grief and how you mix trust in God and Gamzul Tov and all these ideas. And how do you approach somebody? What do you say? From my understanding is you don't say anything. What are you going to tell them? Right? Being there, being present. But also, don't, don't shy away from the reality. We all know what happened. That's why we're here. Um, it reminds me of this story. So I did a training, uh, one of my trainings. I did uh, coaching. I also did grief recovery. And Grief recovery I, for yourself? or Grief recovery. So part of the trainings you do on yourself, you do through a certain right. relationship. And... Um, you know, for anyone who is looking for this, it's called the Grief Recovery Handbook. Um, so I think very, very helpful and useful. You can get it on Amazon. Um, I don't know if we plugging things. Is that okay? Plug, yeah, plug, yeah, plug, I just, plug I just think it's healthy, healthy yeah. and helpful. And so I remember... We'll put I just the affiliate link. We'll get a bunch of commission. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, so I did it for because a friend told me he thinks it would be good for me to do and beneficial... So I did it. It costed a pretty penny, but I did it. And um, that was that. I didn't do it for anything further. And then, unfortunately, in one of the years that we were in the school, there was like a freak accident. And one of the boy's uh, parents died. Uh, you know, it was, just, it was horrific. Both parents? One one parent. Okay. It was like a, just a, something, you know, accident. And, and they decided, my friend decided to, that they had got money together to fly me to, to this place to be to be with the boy. That's probably one of, if not the most uncomfortable thing you could ever do. Like to be there, it's not like even someone who's older and they pass away. But this is like a, a younger woman, like just a freak accident. It just happened. I was so uncomfortable, but I, you know, I follow wherever I got to go. You got to do, you know, so rise to the occasion and go. So hoping you, because of your childhood experience, Because I was a grief recovery be... specialist and because oh, I had my childhood experience and I was, you know. So what was, the, why was it such a terrible thing? For me, it was because, I don't know, what are you going to tell them? What am I going to do? Right. It's a very uncomfortable and awkward in the sense of like, you're going to help somebody, but what, do you, what, what are you saying? What are you doing? I'm not giving him a lecture. I give him a hug and then what? Leave? What do, what do you do? Right. Um, so, Whatever I got on the plane, we got there. Um, so the first thing I did was I said, "Please tell me, tell me about your." It was his mother. I said, "Tell me about your mother. You know what was she like. Tell me some stories. What you remember her, because I didn't want him to shy away. You got to talk about it. You know, it's it's not a it's not a but it's not a secret. Talk. Tell me about. I want to celebrate. And I know it's sad, right? Uh, but tell me who this person was. You know how much they mean to you. Let them express. Get it out." Um, and after that, we ordered some food and we we're just joking around. And then his, a few friends came with me from his friends from the school. And then they went home and I was there for 24 hours. So I said, I'm not going to go back. I'm just going to sit here the whole time. Right. And I sensed he was very angry at God, like pissed off, like furious. No judgment. I, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, this is so unhealthy. I know he's going to bottle it up, bury it deep. And then it's just going to be a very toxic person from there on. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, I need to, I need to get him to get it out. You know, because he probably doesn't feel safe to exp 
express how he feels oh, yeah, because yeah. God forbid you say something about Hashem, I'm like, but I said, I remember I, he sat down next to me finally, like a few hours later, he sat down and got a little more quiet. And I said, God, I beg you, please forgive me for what I'm about to do, but I believe this is the correct thing to do. And I said to the boy, I said, uh, you know, like, how do you feel towards God now? Like, you know, how could he do, you know? He's like, I don't want to talk about him. I'm like, really? Like, 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 if you saw God right now, like, what would you tell him? He's like, I don't want to talk about him. I'm like, like, what would you do to him? Really, like, I felt bad. I was edging him right. on. And then he just went off and just on a rampage, just like, full on, like, you know, the whole uh, Sarsidibris, every word, everything that he'd do, uh, sucker punch, back kick, uh, paint scratch, like, spin in his face, like, I don't know, with every other, you know, word in the dictionary. And that was that. And just he finished, and he just got up and he walked away. And again, I'm, I have no idea if this is correct. It's not right. It's just pure intentions. I just I did because I believe you have to do something. Later, we're sitting in the kitchen, and um, so a few of the friends came back, and I guess there's just always the comfort food. This right. Hanukkah time, there's donuts and everything. So we're just sitting there schmoozing, chilling, just you know, and. All of a sudden, I see in the corner that this boy is sitting there, and he's starting to sing a niggin. So, the same one who was just upset. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the boy who's uh, the orphan. Yeah. Um, just a few hours later, he's sitting there, and he's singing a niggin. Um, so I'm like, okay, let's let's like sing along with him quietly, undertone. I started singing with him, and then other people started to hear, so they all started, everybody started singing. Um, and then I have like this, like I sing to my kids and I put them to sleep, so... I sing that nigga, and I just continued on to the next song, and to the, like a whole playlist. I just continued singing. And everyone's singing with us. And before we know it, all his siblings and his father, everybody came into the room there. They're all standing mm -hmm. there singing. It was like a, you felt the was a vibes. Moment. And then the moment, yeah, better word. Mm -hmm. And then we got to Ali Mamin. And we started singing the Via Samashiach. And this boy just burst out crying uncontrollably crying and crying and his brother-in-law came and he sat next to him put his hand around him and was talking to him and he was just crying and everyone was crying and like it was at that point it's like like we got the emotion out that negative emotion that toxicity that he had towards God got it out so the real healthy emotion the sadness that was buried under that right. was able yeah, to come right. out and start yeah so why do you so why do you question that like even now when you were telling the story you said it as like maybe you did be something wrong or well I, I I I feel like you have to be a fine line between like uh, arrogance and and confidence and you also at the time that it happened I don't know I'll I'll, I'll tell you what I I shared and I don't I don't regret anything I ever do I say God if it's the wrong thing let me know tell me what I need to do I I don't know but I'll keep on doing it and based off of this teaching the story it says Rabbi Yechem Ben Zakai. Right, he was the leader of the Jews at the time of the destruction of the second Mesa Mikdash, or the second temple. And he said to his students right before he died, I don't know in which path I'm going to go, either heaven or hell. I don't think he used those words, but right. that's what he said. And his students started crying. They said, If you, the mighty hammer of Israel, you, like, if right. you're. <laughs> Where are we going to go? Right. right. And they don't understand. How could you say that? You are the leader. You're like, you know, you're the Rebbe of the generation. What are you saying? And I'm not sure who I heard it from, 
I don't want to blame it on Rabbi Yy, mm-hmm. but maybe I got it, or I just a culmination of my own ideas that I heard. One of the possibilities is that he was saying he he made a decision. He met uh, Vespasian. Just what? He met the general Vespasian, who was the, okay. the, Roman, the Roman general Vespasian, who destroyed yeah. the base of Mikdash. And um, he had a whole encounter. He had to smuggle himself out, fake his death, the whole thing for another history class. Mm-hmm. But he basically he met him and he impressed him by basically saying, he showed him that he was the czar. He bowed to him, the Caesar, and the emperor. And uh, the Spacey said, I should kill you for two reasons. One is because I'm not the emperor. Two, if I am the emperor, what took you so long to get here? And show your respect. And at that moment, a messenger came and said, uh, the emperor died and you're the new emperor. So he was in such shock that he said, okay, I'll grant you whatever, and Rebekah uh, Mazaka said, I ask three things. Seek medical attention for a certain rabbi. Um, give the house of leadership back to Rabbi Gamliel, uh, his, his children, and spear the city of Yavne and its Torah scholars. Okay. A lot of people argued and fought against... Uh, uh, what do you mean the base of Mekdash? All the Jews, Jerusalem. What do you? What did you? What did you come up with this idea? Right, right. Um, so I heard Rabbi Huawei once shared. He said that if Torah is alive, so then Judaism will survive. And if you have the Torah scholars who will teach it, who heard it from Moshe all the way down generations, look, we're here today. As opposed to if it would be just a, a temple in the Kohanim doing sacrifices, it might end up, you know, a few generations down, like a reformed or a very different. Right. Who knows? So that was one idea, but. He's saying now, right before, he, he never stopped to think. And he, he made decisions. That was what he had to do in this world. We have to make choices. But now he's sitting and he's reflecting. Was it the right choice? Should I have said, oh, saved the base of Mikdash? Should I have said, save everybody, go home, pack your bags? I don't know. We'll find out. Am I going to heaven or hell? I don't know. But I believe I have to make a choice, and I did. Okay, so you're saying the humility around that. Okay, I understand. I understand. I guess from, you know, there are a couple of things that come to mind um, in that story. So one, I did a podcast with someone named Sterna Suisa. She's a parenting uh, coach or teacher. And I asked her kind of for a measure of, I said, how, how does a parent know if they're doing a good job with their kids? So I have my own way, right? You can kind of see with certain children at certain times, it's more or less, but you still see their eyes bright, right? Like the light is on. So, okay, so that's uh, one way for me is, okay, if I see that my children have that light, but you can also, over time, it's hard to see in your own kids, meaning you're seeing them every day, you're seeing them constantly. This is a weighted decision. You can see it, I feel like I can see it very easily in another kid if that spark is lost. And you also know the the things that you do that could jeopardize that. Correct. So it's not foolproof. So I said, can you give me another one? And she said, you know, she says, maybe counterintuitive, but if your children are, like if your house is noisy, if your kids are expressive, if they're crying, if they're, ta- I say a tantruming, but if they're, if they're emoting and expressing and there's a lot of different waves um, going on, then it suggests that they feel safe, which is similar to, you know, wow. one, of the things, one of the things you said. And I, I see that. Like this morning, um, I was going to get a haircut, and my youngest, he's two and a half, but he, t- he talks a lot. So he said, I meaning he has like a, a full uh, full vocabulary, a couple of um, older si- older siblings, I guess, who uh, teach him yeah. well. And he said, um, he saw me leaving. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get a haircut. He said, I want to get a haircut. 
So I said, um, you're not going to get a haircut until you're three. So he right, right grabbed the pillow and like, you know, was like very upset about it. Like put his head in the pillow and was like, you know, and I said, it's okay. None of us got a, a haircut for you three. Not me and not, you know, not your brother and not your uncles, not your cousins and anyone. And he pulls his head out of the pillow and he's like, you're so stupid, daddy. And thinking about that, like it was actually a great moment, you know, because that's what he was feeling. That's where, that's where he was at. You know, I can give him a lecture on not, you know, on respect and everything else. But I think to me, like that's, like that was the feeling that he was feeling at that, at that moment. A minute later, he's like, I want to hug you and kiss you before you leave. You know, but in that moment, that was the feeling. And wouldn't that be my role to to give him the space to to express that? And the reason I'm saying this is because in terms of God and man, I know there's the two most common comparisons that is given within Jewish literature is master and servant right. and father and son. Okay, so maybe in terms of the master-servant relationship, there's very little room for you're so stupid, daddy, <laughs> right? But certainly in terms of the father-son, not only is there room, but it's... Uh, it's part of it. What? It's part of the relationship. It's part of it, yeah. Like it would, to me, it's symbolic of a good father to be able to handle the I hate you every once in a while, like that, that feeling. So that's one. And the second, related to addiction, so I often say that... Almost everyone I've counseled on addiction, I've asked them to write two letters. One is a thank you slash goodbye letter to their addiction. Like, thank you. Thank you for the good times. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for protecting me. Thank you for, you know, whatever it was. You know, it did something for me. That's why I yeah. kept going back. But goodbye, right? Which I find is a much more honest view of the relationship with our addiction. Sometimes we can feel... We can get to a state where I'm such an idiot for watching porn. Am I such an idiot for watching porn? When I was 13 years old and 14, 13, 14 years old, and I was miserable, and I had zero agency, zero autonomy, zero uh, real power over my own life, and I felt like absolute crap, and here I had a tool to make myself feel a little better. Should I have not taken it? It was the right move. You wanted to survive. Yeah, in that setting, it was the right move. And thank you so much for having this tool, because had I not had this tool... I either would have had to replace it with another tool, which could have been worse, or something else. So here I am. Thank you. Goodbye. And the second, I always say, is a letter to, a letter to God, a letter to our higher power, a letter to the universe, whatever you know, whatever word someone wants. Whatever to put the address is in there. Uh, yeah, but it's a letter to that which, you know, in recovery we make no bones about it. There's a higher power. There's a God who cares for us, who, you know, has a will for us. You know, if the, if that's the program someone is embracing, to heal, then. We go for it. Like Carl Jung said, spiritus contra spiritum. We need spirituality to counteract the spirits, the alcohol. Oh. Right? So we <clears throat> need an equal, you need an equal force. So for some things, we don't need spirituality to heal, but certainly for something like something as powerful as the spirits, we need spirituality and embracing a higher power to heal. And I often say to write a letter to your higher power, maybe you can start with dear God, dear Hashem, and then let him have it. And if it has to start with F you, like literally start right there. And just how many times like that has been very similar to your experience. That has been the key to unlock that relationship. Because what is a relationship? What is a personal relationship? I can't express the way I feel right now. What is a God if yeah. he can't even be a good father? Take it. You're so stupid, daddy. 
That's why I feel. And right if now. he is God, you don't think he can handle exactly, your... exactly. What is it? Right. This petty, punitive. You don't talk to me that way. Don't talk to me that way. What did you do to me? But I think it comes back to what we said earlier about when you're taught a certain way to be quiet. We don't ask, don't say. So then I can't talk to God that way. I can't express how I right. feel. Right, and that, that's why I was challenging you because I, I was feeling like that's still like some of the residual of the oh. negative religious programming that you're still carrying, mm -hmm. even though this, you have decisive action that you're taking and saying, no, like express yeah. the anger, you're still carrying some of the It very well could guilt, be, the, and I appreciate guilt. you pointing so, it out so, over here. So I to, I'm saying yeah. that. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because you mentioned uh, writing a goodbye slash thank you letter. Right. Part of the grief recovery, um, one of the things they do is uh, you do a, a, a thank you, an apology, um, the uh, significant mention, things like that. It's all about communication, not holding it in anymore. And then you also do a goodbye letter. And the idea is when you say the goodbye, I'm working with some like kids. They get scared. Like, no, like, I love the person when I say goodbye. I don't want to finish it. I want to remember them. And I right. say, you're not saying goodbye to the relationship, to that person. You're saying goodbye to that chapter of the relationship. So now that someone passed away, it's not the same anymore. Right? So you're saying goodbye to that so you can embrace what is. 100%. And a lot of the times, in order to do that, you need to communicate so many unsaid feelings and thoughts uh, etc if it was an apologies or if it's a thank you or if it's a, whatever it is we need to communicate and that's why i think again you need the balance you need to learn how to do it you need to uh, show them how to communicate and express ourselves and it's okay and there's a better way to say it we we have in the circle guys express themselves and i'll i'll say if everyone would just stop for a moment i want to do a you know a, a learning moment and i say is it okay if i point something out that you just said and I say, he communicated how he felt. Um, let me ask you, how did you feel when he said it? He says, it didn't feel good. And I said, you notice how you said it, you attacked him. Instead of expressing how you felt, you say, I, I get uncomfortable when people speak about this thing. As opposed to you're an idiot for talking about disgusting stuff. Right? So then he got attacked. So it's yeah, you should only talk like that to your father. <laughs> I get it. Um, so yeah so this is all the same idea when we learn to do it when we express then there's nothing bottled up right so you don't have to vomit all of it out right it's a clear moving system so I got upset at you you know what I apologize I shouldn't have said that or I really appreciate if you could apologize or tell me like I don't like that what did I do and then we can have a healthy relationship again because we're not holding on to anything we're burying it Right, but we need the tools to be able to do that. They they say, I think it's Tzamathetic, the Middle Rebbe, what's the difference between uh, children and adults? Right, Ch Adults want to be right. And children want to be happy. So I want to be right, and therefore you wronged me, and I'll never talk to you again. Because I'm right, you're wrong, and get out of here. And that's it. Children want to be happy. So even though I could say you're stupid, Daddy, right, but two minutes later, I want to hug. Right? I want to be happy. I, I'm not gonna, I don't care. You're right. You're wrong for what you did. Like, and somewhere along the way, unfortunately, we, we get taught up. differently. <laughs> we get taught differently. And you know that's where we lose that being happy over being right. And I think what you're sharing about the noise, um, which, by the way, I'm thrilled to hear. A noisy house and <laughs> things happening. We're doing it. No, we're doing a good job. <laughs> um, but it's it's also... Like the communication and and expressing and 
It's just, it's really the human interaction. That's what it is. I'm a human. You're a human. We all have wants. We all have needs. I tell it to the guys when we sit in a circle. I said, isn't it crazy? You're sitting, fighting, upset, annoyed, judging this guy. I said, we all want to be loved, cared for, accepted, etc. So many other things. We all want that. You want it. I want it. And we all can give it to each other. And somehow we're not. Why? What's stopping us from giving us what we all want? We can do it. We don't need anybody else. Yeah, easier said than done, I know. Right. And I'm, I'm glad we did the easy part. Now get it done. We got to start shifting. And I know it's it's scary to do things like I'm saying how we do education. It's not the norm and not the, the way it's usually done. I, I'm doing it if I have to change directions because I believe that's what's correct and that's what's needed now, I'll do it. If I believe that's what Hashem wants for me to do, you know, uh, I'm human still. I, you know, but I know the more I work on myself and the healthier I am, the more balanced I am, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So then no matter what comes my way, when you're balanced, you can, you know, but if you're imbalanced and one thing touches you. Right. You know, something I'm taking from this is um, the the importance of like receiving the feedback. Right. And I think, you know, I did a podcast a little bit ago, and I don't know what we'll name it, but we'll probably name it something like F Religion Embrace God. Right? I was like, what's the difference between religion and God? Because we were taught they're one and the same thing. Huge difference. What? Huge difference, but continue. But one of the differences is that in, in religion, there is no need for feedback. I'm right because I'm right. Right. This is, this is what it says to do, and I am right. doing it. And regardless of how it impacts you or affects you, regardless of any feedback that I get back, I made the right decision. If it didn't work out, you're wrong. Everyone else is wrong. This is the right way. What you're talking about is saying, okay, I'm running a school. You're running a school. You're sure your way is right, and that's why you keep doing it, despite whatever reactions you get. I'm not sure, but I'm open to the feedback. So if I'm getting something, if I'm putting something out there, if what I get back is something that's a positive feedback, then this gets reinforced and saying, hey, like, look at this. Yeah. The child is healthy. The child is happy. Things are moving in the right direction. Do more. It doesn't work out. Okay, so I'll move in another direction. But that responsiveness feels very godly to me. I believe so. I trust Therefore, I do. And to comment, if I'm not open to being educated, how can I be an educator? Again, they see for me. If I'm stuck, they're stuck. If I'm closed, they're closed. The best that I can do is help them open by me being open and me growing and learning. And then I create that for them also. And then we can start talking. We have that safety, that you know, that network grow, going up the lines where they ultimately get to a place where they want to grow and whatever it is that's best for them however it is you know i have some students who they they're they're taking on tremendous things and i keep on telling them i say la'at la'at ultimately becomes a lot a lot <laughs> for you specifically i tell them slow down digest chew and digest whatever you're doing now you're doing amazing you don't need to continue adding stop man some other kids i say yo speed it up man you like you're crossing let's go you know, whatever it is and whatever is best for the individual. But realizing that all, many individuals create a whole. And we need to make sure that there are guidelines. That there is a safety. And that, I find, is the trickiest part. Always having and working on. But if there's authenticity, if there's sincerity. The Hebrew, I think, is tmimus. If you're sincere. The Hebrew is what? Tmimus. Tamimus. Yeah. Tamim. There's sincerity. And again, it's truth. It's MS. When we're connecting to the real gods, 
not not a religion, but the real God who says Yiddishkeit and Taira and every and the Shabbos of the Nach for the for the Goyim. That and you connect to that truth, then you will always be what is called Taras Chaim, the living Torah. You'll always be up to date. You're gonna get all the updates. You're gonna know exactly how to change and and twist and everything that needs to be done, if you connect. But if you're outdated, if you're following just the, the guidelines, so I mean, whatever technology you had on your computer before, two weeks doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I, um, Schneer Hickson, who was on this podcast um, a few times. He shared with me a, a letter recently, which the Rebbe wrote to someone, a letter of the Rebbe, where he wrote to an individual who seemed to, if, if I understand correctly from the letter, he, this gentleman wrote a five-volume five book on the concept of um, sexual, sexual issues, whatever they were, right? Um, desires gone awry, behaviors gone awry, whatever, you know. A lot of the stuff that I talk about in many ways, which is why Schneer shared it with me. <clears throat> and what um, the letter said was, you know, thank you so much for sharing these books. And while Chabad in general has stayed away from talking about these concepts, right? And I think he quotes a Samach Sadek who said that talking about something makes us think about it. And especially with this subject, we talk about it, we think about it, and then it creates more um, behaviors around it. So the best is not to talk about sexual impropriety, which is why we don't do it. Unlike, I mean, it's said in the letter, but unlike, for example, of Nachman of Breslov, which has his... Um, the Kapitlach, yeah, say. Where they talk a lot about it. They talk a lot about um, Shmir Sabris and Pekam Habris and all of that, that's, that section around sexual propriety. And uh, he said, uh, however, in this country where, you know, sexuality is so front and center to the point that I think even... So like he even mentions that certain doctors recommend as a as a healthy practice to engage in masturbation and things like that. Maybe doesn't say specifically masturbation, but he says certain doctors recommend stuff. Oh, this is a sign of a healthy person, someone who masturbates right. regularly. So being that it's you have these problems, so therefore in this environment it is important that um, these subjects are spoken about and shared, and you know, in order to to save people who've gone off the deep end and. If it was relevant then, whenever this letter, letter was written, yeah. um, it was written before internet pornography because Rebbe has not been, uh, you know. So yeah. the problem is many, many times. And what's what's my point there is for me the letter was important because I was I'm kind of on this path of, you know, I got to say what I got to say. Everyone else is like the fact that other people aren't talking about it is insane. The letter gave me a sensitivity for not so fast. Not so fast. There is a reason to do it, but there's also a reason to be sensitive right. around these subjects. And it's actually because of a specific time and place that we're in that we're we're doing this. But it's it speaks to what you're saying about, you know, Taras like Taras Chaim, right? The Samuel Sedek's lessons were wonderful when it was working. When it was working. But the fact of the matter is when you walk into the Yeshiva system and 80, 90% of the kids are struggling with pornography, to go back to this approach and say oh the Semach Sedek says not to talk about it I, but if it was working it would be working obviously meaning okay so we have this letter of the Rebbe to support it right we have this letter of yeah. the Rebbe to support it good so we have this letter of the Rebbe but let, let's say that didn't exist I didn't see this until yesterday let's say that didn't exist <clears throat> what is what is compelling me to talk about it? and I get that I'm not you know not every single decision has been motivated by um not every single decision I make do I check 
what would the Rebbe do? What would the Rebbe say in this situation? Certainly, I try to do it with what I call the bigger decisions. But, you know, maybe what I, the shirt I'm wearing is a bigger decision than the speech I'm giving. Different conversation. But um, my, my point is, is that even without that, we would have to look and say, yes, the Samasada gave a message. What was his message? His message was that talking about it could create more of this. But now we're in an environment, independent of the letter, we're now in an environment where there's no more to create than this. Like there's literally no more. Where you <clears> walk <throat> into a yeshiva and every single kid you assume is using pornography on a regular basis. Every single one. And if it's not 100, it's in definitely over 80%. So clearly, it's not working. But for so many, this has become a religion. There's no feedback. There's no receptivity. There's no openness. There's no. Yeah. There's nothing. It's not a living, breathing. You gotta live with the times, not in it, but with it. Yeah. And you shared, it said, um, this idea of like when you speak to it, it gives it power, right? And is it possible that when you speak about it in a healthy way, it'll give healthy power for people to how to deal with it, right? Meaning, if something is already known. Like what you discussed, right? In this so case, then, so then you have now we have to give the tools. How do we give the tools to combat, right? And there is a way how to speak about it. it doesn't have to always be in a you know very vulgar, hundred percent detailed. And I think that you have the sensitivity, you know, all these ideas. It's it's who you're talking to. Ultimately, what's the goal? What's the goal you're looking to accomplish? And then do whatever you need to do to make sure you get to that goal. And if this, if I'm going to say that it's going to, then then don't. But it's the only way, or is there another one? You got to keep thinking, figure it out. If it's like, I have to do an action right now, so then you do the best you can. Right? That, that's the right. idea. There's never, you're never lost. I, I, I feel this sense of, you know, it says, there's no freedom, only Torah. It's a thing, I think it's Perkyavis. And I, I, I feel that personally when I, when I remember that Hashem runs the world, it's his world, divine providence, I can't mess up his world. I can't. He, can't, he won't let something happen if, unless it was meant to be. Now, I don't go purposely and say, I'm going to do stupid stuff because I can't. I do my best according to nature, according to my brain, according to my understanding, and I do it. And that gives me comfort knowing that if I need to now apologize. I got, a, I got into an argument with someone yesterday, um, and I was saying things because I felt like I had to hear it a certain way. And then my friend told me he got, he got offended. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, but then I'm like, you need to go and apologize and communicate that and let him know what you meant. And, and if there's a negative, you got to deal with it. Right. That, and so I take that. That's what Hashem wants me to have to deal with. That had to happen. And after I went and I apologized to him, I felt so much better. The relationship was so much closer. It was more real. I don't intend to hurt him. Right. You don't go there. I didn't intend for, for that to happen. But if that's what happened, that's what's supposed to happen. Now I got to deal with it. But I must take action. It's something that I was always very uh, crippled by, the fear what are people going to say? What are people going to do? And when you connect to the truth, at least what I believe in my world, what the truth is, it, it's so empowering and it's so liberating because there, you can't mess up. And if you messed up, that's what's supposed to happen, which means it's not a mess up. The only mistake is to mistake the experience Hashem just gave you as a negative. So when you have that, it's, it's, you know, even coming here, like, and we're going to speak and what's the reaction? I, I don't know, but this is what we're doing. And I'm trusting that everything, it'll be good, it'll be amazing. And it'll help and whoever needs to get that. Right. And be open to the feedback if there's something. 100%. If right. whatever it is, I got to deal with it. Right. 
as unpleasant as it may be sometimes, and as much as I'm getting comfortable, sometimes Hashem gives you a little poke. Like, hey, get to work. <laughs> you know, you just get comfortable with where you are with the same few lines that you repeat again and again. You know, new you material. You got to keep up to date. Right. I did want to say, um, you know, when I, when I did make that decision, right, like doing a TED Talk and stuff like that, I'm not, um, even even though I did say, like, okay, I'm, I'm very comfortable with it, I did check certain things. Like, for example, you know, I remember speaking to Shay's Taub and I said, hey, do I, do I go out there and say some of these things? Like, I'm going to yeshiva. How do I know when to talk, when not to talk? He said, obviously, you know, look at your audience for sure, right? Certain yeshivas you go into, you may be introducing a couple of people to it. Okay, so you don't want to yeah. do that. But if you're on YouTube, <laughs> right, you're putting a talk out there. And who is on YouTube? Who is on Instagram seeing these things? Or if you're in a, you yeah. go to yeshiva that's, you know, of a certain caliber, most likely you're not introducing anything to anyone, unfortunately. So speak, obviously, with humility, obviously, yeah. with uh, non-graphically, but... The goal, what's yeah, the goal, what's right? It? And I, I, by the way... Liberation. To applaud that you went and you started this. When I remember when you were doing it and I saw it, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, like amazing. Because like, whenever I see someone do something that I believe should be done, I'm like, I should have been doing that. And you know what I learned? I don't have to do everything. Everybody's got their journey. And thank God... He's doing it, and he went, and he started, and he's pioneering it, and he's going to open the door. And you know what? It's never the prettiest, the first ones, because we there's the feedback, and you have to learn, and you get right. better, and you get better. But I think it's it's important, and it's amazing. And you know, look look now, look where it has led to and grown. Uh, you know, and who knows how many more people were inspired um, to tackle and talk about real stuff that are happening. You know, I'm right. plugging it in with updated real. Uh, Tyra, Tyra's Chaim, like being real and applicable and that we can actually grow and heal from. Right. The, fa the, f the fact is that there's a lot of people, a lot of people struggling with it. And before I went and did a TED Talk, I called a, a rub and I said to him, I'm thinking of doing this more than thinking I have the date booked. Um, and someone had just shared with me, which is something I didn't know, that in Judaism, you have the idea of... Um, like a, like video confession, right? That, that we don't do that, <clears throat> right? We definitely don't do it publicly. Yeah. There's something in Christianity which you see a lot more confessing one's sins. It's not something that uh, that Judaism does. So I said, so I said to him, I understand that that's not done. Um, is there any allowance for me to um, speak? I'm planning on doing a TED talk. It can be seen a lot of <laughs> a lot of times. I didn't know how many it would be seen, obviously, but. Can I share yeah, some personal stuff you're saying? Yeah. About so let me oh. No, about you. I was saying you. That's yeah, what you're yeah. asking. Can oh, I can share? I share? Yeah. You're can asking I him. Can I share personal things Can I share? I'm planning on doing a talk on yes, porn addiction. Am I allowed to? Am I allowed to, right? Yeah. It's confessing my sins. So he said, uh, it's not so simple. Let me get back to you. <laughs> and uh, a few days later, he called me up. I said, look hard because I'm thinking of doing it. Like, <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> yeah. No, not, not uh, look fast, but find something. Right, meaning, you know, it's likely moving in this direction. So, you know, I, listen. If he if he said otherwise, I, I possibly would have changed the topic in some way. But um, I'm not sure what I would have done. But I figured, okay, let me ask a question. And obviously, it felt right. Not it felt right. It felt necessary. It felt it felt almost wrong to ask the question a little bit, because like Pinchas didn't ask the question. You know what I mean? Because if you're if you have enough time for a question, then you don't think it's an emergency. But, but you this, had a date booked, so... Right. There was that, but also this I just learned this idea. So maybe it was going to change the speech in some way. And he came back to me a few days later, and he said, 
um, you're allowed to do it as long as it's to help people, but you should specify that that's the reason you're doing it. So I said, I'll do even better. I'll make the whole speech about that. That when we share our stories, it, it helped. When we share the realness of our stories, our struggles, that it helps other people. And that became yeah. the... Uh, and that became the speech itself. The reason I gave that context is because I'm not suggesting this idea of go renegade and do whatever you want because we're getting a feedback that it needs a change. Right. But for so many of us, we're afraid to ask the questions. Can something look can something look different than it is? Why do we want it to look different than it is? Because there's so much not working. So ask some of these questions. Yes, Samuel Sedek says something about it. Like I said, he does. He says it very clearly. The Rebbe says so in a letter. But the end result that he's talking about is not happening. Why not? Because it's America, not Russia, and it's a very different reality. We have internet, we have mm -hmm. the printing press, <laughs> you know, we have all of these things that have changed. You know, in the 1940s, when they made a movie in America, 1950, you couldn't put a couple in the same bed room. So if there was a conversation happening with a couple, they wouldn't film them in the same bed. Just a conversation. They'd film them within, <clears throat> within a couple decades of that, you're talking about having a hard time watching a movie without a sex scene in it. And now, yeah. like, it's, we're in a very different reality. So what was there is not, is, 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 is not now. And, yeah, these things have to be addressed. And I think that yeah. this is a learning for much more. And it sounds like you're seeing yeah. that as well with the education. 100%. It's, and and we talk about these type of things. And it's, you know, where you say that's where the skill comes in. How do you communicate certain things without going down that rabbit hole, so to speak, and getting into details and doing it in a way that people feel safe? to communicate and to, you know, share. And for people also, we've seen when, you know, we, we did it, you know, who struggles with this? And um, I realized it's not going to work because people, or if they're embarrassed or if they're older. Right. So I said, who's struggling or struggled with this? And all of a sudden, almost everybody's hands went up. And so, because like, you don't know if I struggled, if I got over it, if I learned how to you know, control myself mm -hmm. where I'm struggling. And you realize like everyone looked around and, Unfortunately, almost uh, 80 to 90 percent of every challenge, almost everyone's hand was up. Um, and I gave the guys a comfort that they're not weird, they're not, you know, different or unique, that, that it's a real thing, it's a struggle. And that was just at least step one. There was an awareness. You now, how to go about it and how to communicate is the next step. How do we, you know, but it's definitely, uh, I, and I didn't think for a second that you just went, uh, you know, in the Wild West and just started saying stuff without looking into it and uh, 100 percent looking and asking asking the rabbis in a sense you making a Kaylee saying hey god i want to do it right right no and that it was obviously also who did i ask right i asked chase right someone that i respected i respected the way he was talking about certain topics the way he was addressing certain things yeah. that maybe others others weren't so i understood that he's a sensitivity around these um these issues but he's not going to give me some you know a printed answer some it's going to be a thoughtful it's going to be a thoughtful answer yeah it's a thoughtful yeah. answer that addresses the the reality on the ground. Yeah, and it's it's uh, again it's it's amazing to see that when you push through whatever fears you know you may have had or you know and just go and do that. Again, you could see Baruch Shemana how many years ago it was, but you could see there's a, a huge ripple effect, right? And it's not by chance, and everything's just kachaprotes, meaning that Hashem needed and wanted that to happen to open it up according to nature. The next you know, a decade of whatever we're doing now. And, you know, the world, you could see how far the world is, is going. And thank God this conversation is happening. Thank God we've been doing so many other things in this area to heal. 
and to, to grow. Um, another idea, just when you're like for yourself, I do for myself, like when you're doing something, you don't know yes, no. Um, so we say in English, you know, you know, trust your gut feeling, right? And the wordplay, gut in Yiddish means God, right? Right. So yeah. trust your godly feeling. <laughs> and again, pure intentions, not because I think it's good or not. What's the goal? You want this kid to be happy? So then me doing this, is that going to help him? Is that really going to help him? You know, think it over. Um, and, and by the way, in Pirkei Avos, Rabbi Chanina ben Deysa teaches the formula of exactly how you're supposed to do it. Which is? He writes, Paragimel, Mishnah Tess, and Yud. <laughs> he says, um, I made sure to memorize it, usually I don't. He says, if your fear of sin is more than your wisdom, your wisdom will endure. Miskayemis means uh, fulfill, I guess. Um, and if your wisdom, if your wisdom is more than your fear of sin, then it won't. Meaning? Meaning, if you're not careful about making mistakes, right? You think you know it all, then ultimately you'll you'll make big mistakes, and the wisdom that you have is nothing. Understood. And then you're finished. But if you're concerned and I don't want to mess up, so then your wisdom will endure. You'll make the right choices ultimately. Right. Just that fear opens us right. up to a level of humility. Yeah. That makes room for God. Then there's step two he teaches, Go which ahead. is if your actions are more than your wisdom, your wisdom will endure. But if your wisdom is more than your actions, your wisdom will not endure. Same idea. Just because I'm careful and I have wisdom, if I don't take action, interact, experience. You won't learn anything. Then my wisdom will just be what it was from the book. And I won't be able to adapt and adjust accordingly. When you're in it, right? Experience, um, action equals experience. So you have to take action. And then your wisdom continues to grow and grow because you're not outdated. You're always up to date because you have your finger on the pulse. You're doing Beautiful, it. Yeah. And then the third thing he mentions, which I think is tremendous, and I felt like that back back in the day growing up, it could have helped, is that he says the idea of um, a ruach, a spirit or a wind, whoever does things in a pleasant way, in a good ruach for creation, Creation finds it pleasant, Hashem finds it pleasant. And whoever does it in a way that people don't find it pleasant, Hashem doesn't find it pleasant. So it's not just your thoughtfulness not to mess up and I don't want to want to do the right thing. And you actually go and you take the actions, but it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. That is tremendously impactful. And, you know, you can do something and then uh, this is the truth and shut down the person from being able to even hear it right. because of that. Right, I have someone I always tell, I say, you know, you speak a lot of truth, but almost every time you do, whatever you do before makes me want you to be wrong. So to embrace any of your truth, I have to now work through a few things internally, which might be good for me, but I have to work through a few things internally to be able to absorb this truth, if I succeed in working through those things, yeah. to absorb it. And, be the and sometimes should. we can do the opposite. Sometimes we can do the opposite where... We share a truth, but someone wants us to be right because we've done it in a delicate, um, a delicate yeah. way. Yeah, the biased or hoping that, uh, you know, you're saying in, in terms of like, I want them to be right even if they're wrong? No, not even if they're wrong. I'm not talking about bias. I'm, I want them to be right. You can, I want them to be wrong even if they're right. Right? So, for example, let's say you have um, a student who comes to you and says, Zami, I'm really struggling with something. Can you give me some guidance on the subject? And you sit there and give him guidance. 
in that interaction, because he's trusted you before and because he's asked you for advice, so you're sharing something. Hopefully it's true, but he wants yeah. you to be right. right? Okay. In that moment, yeah. he's set you up to, right? And he's hoping that you're giving him the right guidance. And now that he goes and follows it, that you're right. So his hope is that you're right. Yeah. Whereas if you walked over to him and said, you stupid fool, you're doing the wrong thing. Let me tell you what to do. You delivered yeah. the same information. Right. But in one of them, he wants you to be right. And the other one, he wants you to be wrong. So even if you delivered the truth, you could have alienated him even more from He's me. not open. Yeah, I can tell you that for me, one of the hurdles I had to overcome in order to reapproach Judaism was being okay that they might be right. Even though they're wrong. But they, right? They are who's they? They is this, I don't know, amorphous blob of people who influenced me in childhood or who tried to influence me in childhood, that I found very distasteful. And I wanted to reject it all. You're wrong. God doesn't exist. And if he does, it's not, what, it's not this. And all this stuff you're teaching me is irrelevant and negative and horrible. And then as I'm reapproaching some of those things that they said, like, oh, Shabbos is a nice thing. But I want right. them to be wrong. <laughs> I want them to be wrong about that because yeah. of the way it was delivered. It's what you're saying is, is that... Is what you're saying? What do you say, Hanina Bendaisa? Yeah, Hanina Bendaisa says this. Right. Yeah. So deliver things in yeah. a way. So there's a few a few ideas you just mentioned. Um, so one is um, for education. Um, we say what comes from the heart goes to the heart, right? So I, I've I thought about that, right? Okay, you know it's nice. It comes from my heart. It goes to your heart. But then I realize it's a lot. I think a little bit more than that. Where it comes from in my heart is what's going to drag out from your heart. So if I come from a negative place, an angry place, it's exactly what I'm going to drag out in you. Your response will be exactly that. It's uh, not just what comes from the heart goes to the heart. It's that wherever it comes from in my heart, it goes straight to you. Understood. So I'm understand. going to, if I'm coming out of a haughty place, whatever, it's going to be a certain part of you is going to come out that way. That shuts it down, whatever it is, uh, instinctively. As opposed to if I come from a pure place, you know, of openness, and I don't know, and it could be, then I create for you also an open place where then you can allow it in wherever it needs to go. Beautiful. Um, All right, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. This it is, is beautiful. a pleasure. Thank you, Ali. Likewise. I'm sure we'll do it again. You're not too As you learn more, come share with us. I'll end with this. So I met Gabor Mate a few months ago, and Gabor always described as a brilliant teacher, right? A lot of the concepts he teaches He's not the only one sharing this, but he managed to talk about trauma in a way that so many of us were able to relate to. He's a brilliant, brilliant teacher. And when I sat with him, someone asked me, like, were you, like, what was it like to meet him? And this guy, you read so many of his books, followed so many yeah. speeches for years. And I, so what I said was, I said, I always thought he was a good speech teacher. When I met him, I realized how good of a student he is. Wow. So, and that's a gift. So may you, uh, may you continue to be a good student. Thank student you. of life. What a blessing is blessed. Same for you and all those are open to the blessing. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>